going on, everybody? This is Phil from SteelRingPost.com. I'm here with the first episode of Inspire AD. This is going to be a podcast from and by and about the creators and uh, the people who run Inspire Pro Wrestling, the premier indie wrestling promotion in Central Texas based in Austin. Uh, They've been running for seven years now. I used to do video for them. Uh, kind of like a one-man band when they were first getting started. So I I have a a pretty close connection with them myself. And I'm really interested, uh, just as a fan of them, to hear their story about what it was like to start and run this promotion. I'll shut up and I'll let uh, Max Meehan and Biss from Inspire Pro get started. Uh, Here is your first episode of Inspire AD. We have to go. Yeah, we have to go back to uh, Anarchy Championship Wrestling as it is, uh, and we're talking about the Anarchy Championship Wrestling located in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Is there more than one? We're uh, not going to do Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there. Yeah. That, that's a fairly generic uh, name. There are multiple anarchies all throughout the country. In fact, so, so should I? I should probably start there, because so um, May sixth. 2007 it was actually May 5th 2007 I was supposed to start working for Anarchy uh, filming the backstage vignettes the locker room was too small so I had to start the next day so May 6th 2007 was my introduction to the wrestling business Uh, so yeah yeah, it started with Anarchy Championship Wrestling filming backstage vignettes Um, I I won't go through the whole hit my whole history there because it's really not pertinent to, to all of this um but yeah, as you say, uh, that product, to me, it was always, to me, it was very similar to the reaction of going from ECW to Ring of Honor, um, as far as Inspire. Inspire was, Anarchy was the only real major product in Austin at the time, right? So, I, I was deeply in love with the company initially when I, when I first began to go, I fell out of love with wrestling when I was a kid and then when I moved to the East Coast I, you know, sort of my love for it reemerged and I guess that's where my loudness as a fan came from going to shows on the East Coast um, I was, I think it's safe to say the bane of Biss's existence for uh, a, I hope it was a brief pocket See, yeah, it was honestly probably about a 25-minute period, but, like, it gets stretched out into this bigger deal. I think you made one promo I cut a pain in the ass, and that was really that was really it. But it becomes this big, oh, yeah, man, like, Biss and Max used to be, you know, you know, hand-on-throat type thing. So, uh, I used to sit at the Anarchy shows, and the way that that venue was set up was that there was a stage, and I guess it was... There was really no differentiation. It was GA. You could sit wherever you wanted, unless it was like the front row or whatever. And uh, I would, I would sit on the stage with uh, six or seven other people, and we would proceed to get rip roaring drunk and just talk shit. In fact, I think it's fair to say that there were points where we may have had more heat than some of the wrestlers. Yeah. So. The match itself, so here's the deal. I'm going to paint the scene. Um, the match itself was basically two different matches going on at the same time. Um, 
And that, that, that's as basic as it was. It was four people in the ring, two singles matches going on at the same time, but then they could fight whoever, right? So my job was to go out and explain this to the crowd from the, like, eagle's nest, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's not the easiest thing to explain when you're trying to get all the intricate details. You can't just be like, hey, it's going to be two matches, guys. Fucking eat it up. And it's like my 15 minutes of fame, right? So fuck yeah, I'm going to milk it a little bit. Um, yeah, but Max and, and the jury um, just start, like, one sentence in start like just heckling right it, which was what they did um and uh i actually i got i ate it up uh, i may make max cringe here because i'm a reference of band and I'm, i don't know if he likes them or not because i really have no real like self-awareness of musical or taste. taste or anything yeah. probably taste either um but at, at an Ozfest, i saw uh the a crowd heckle fucking um oh what the fuck was the name of that band they're from Michigan. Whatever. Anyway, the drummer gets pissed off, fucking jumps up on stage and like whips his dick out to like so like I was like, fuck yeah, I'm gonna do that, except for I'm not gonna whip my dick out. I'm just gonna pretend the mic's my fucking dick. Um so I was pretty pumped that I got to reenact that. I was actually like super stoked about being able to do that. Um but it came off as all man like Biss hates fucking Max, so... I think that uh, Biss and I didn't really know each other, so I th I think the mythology of Biss and I hating each other really came from the fact that when Biss would speak, I would heckle, and then he would heckle back. But over time, it, it became more of a playful thing, but when yeah. people around us see that in a weird way, it's weird that there was this guy on the mic in the ring, and then there was a fan, and it was almost like we were working the crowd. It, and I'm not a big fan of when people in the audience make themselves part of the show. And so I, I'm, I was fairly guilty of that uh, at that point, just because there were points in that show where the show kind of needed a boost. Um, um, you know, you see things... I think, I think ultimately that's why Inspire appealed to me. Uh, the company went through a tribulation where Darren Childs, who, oh, I'm excited to talk about this guy... <laughs> He really was the lunch lady that controlled everybody else. But you cannot talk about anarchy without talking about Rachel Summerlin. Yeah. Rachel Summerlin was a superlative talent. Uh, she really did help kind of directly fund it, I, I believe, in a uh, lot of ways. 100%. And um, Darren, we're talking about this, this whole call-out movement uh, that's occurring right now in indie wrestling. I think that even though he fights the allegations very much epitomizes politically uh, the kind of person that I didn't want affiliated with our company uh, I always perceived him to be kind of a creep along with Jack Jameson uh, I remember hearing things where when they would do the Queen of Queens tournament where Jack Jameson who would fund flying in some of the women that participated in this all Joshi tournament he'd Lament not getting laid, you know, as if this was his goal. It wasn't about the wrestling. It was about uh, this social quagmire that they were trying to build for themselves to, you know, swing a little, you know. Continuing on. Um, Biss and I became friends through Anarchy, and we would get together and we would uh, watch, I believe it was Dragon Gate USA at the time. I think that was my favorite thing that I was watching at the time 
you know, you have a lot of guys who are at that point doing a lot of great stuff. You know, Shingo was there, uh, for, who's like tearing it up in, you know, New Japan. You've got, you had, uh, John Moxley there. You had, uh, uh, you know, Chuck, Chuck Taylor was there. There were, there were, there were, Davey Richards was there. You had a lot of great guys putting on this great mixture of, uh, American indie and hardcore Japanese stuff. It was a great company run, of course, by Gabe Sapolsky, who was responsible for the, uh, the, the the most fiery and quality iteration of uh, Ring of Honor. Also, I believe, worked at ECW. Am I incorrect? Yeah, I mean, a cup of coffee at ECW. Yeah. He was there for a while, I believe. But yeah. Um, yeah, and then that was cool, too, because I could come over and brag about, like, oh, I remember Shingo when he was on an excursion in Texas, and Max cared back then, but now. I care he now. He doesn't care about my stories anymore. I care. I care about your stories. No, nah, but yeah. So that was a good chance for us to, and actually, you know, have a conversation besides screaming at each other, wink, wink, nudge, nudge at a show, right? Each of us playing our part um, and actually kind of get into wrestling philosophy a little bit. Yeah, and uh, I I believe a huge portion, too, of us getting together was there was a point in time there was there was a message board that was on facebook that's still there it's a it's a group now uh by the name of i like to hurt people and a core of the people that participated on the board would actually go to the acw shows and the night after the shows i would always go on and say this is what i liked and this is what i didn't like i personally feel that acw deteriorated in terms of quality once rachel left once Darren had his falling out with her, um, for whatever reason, I just I feel like he just had his head up his ass. He just always came across as very full of himself. Um, he is a he is a mythical being in his own mind, and I remember criticizing the show and saying, "Well, why did you do this only to do this, and why didn't you capitalize this on this from last month?" And uh, Matthew Palmer, centerfold Matthew Palmer, who was a wrestler at the company, was always really interested in, in my feedback and what I had to say. And so he would ask me questions. And then I remember at one point, Darren pops up and says, well, look, buddy, if you think you can do better, then maybe you should shut the fuck up and do it. Yeah. And then, I mean, as somebody from the end, obviously, I was with Anarchy from 2007 until 2013. 2012 was my least favorite year. Right, it was just miserable. Um, so um, I was. By the time we started, I was super down. I was in a real, as far as the wrestling stuff goes, very dark place. Um, so I, I fuck. I I didn't disagree with a lot of what you were posting on there. Honestly, I mean, I've always been. I'm more of the quote unquote kayfabe guy, the the reserve. So I'm not super open about that stuff. But shit, I agreed with most of the criticism honestly I think it's also important to point out that Biss has a background of working in the business whereas I am I, I'm a local promoter here or had have been in, uh, for the last 18 years I, I kind of quit last year I, I was promoting local shows booking local bands I worked at a club here called Beerland for many years um and I'm also a screenwriter. So when I look at things, especially wrestling shows, it's hard for me to 
extract the writer's hat. I watch everything and think of it in terms of story, in terms of logic. And so, you know, I mean, I, I feel like at this point we've yanked the veil back. People know what's going on, you know. And I think, honestly, when you look at pro wrestling at, uh, as an art, as something that is uh, built, it makes it even more impressive. And I think it, it, it demands respect when you look at it like that. Wrestlers, to me, have the most complex job. To me, it is it is... It is the highest being in the art world that you can be nearly because you have to be both athlete and you have to be actor and you are respected as neither. You have to be you have to be so completely creative and ultimately sentient and sensitive to your audience. It it, it you know, it really does also clue into why wrestling is so gratifying especially to somebody like me, you know, when you sit down and write something and then you see it cobbled together through film you don't get that immediate gratification that you get when you watch a storyline unfold in front of a live crowd, especially a crowd that's really encouraged to be very vocal. And then I'm, I'm the, uh, the old romanticized, the secret society wrestling carny guy. So I'm more of like the historian of the business type side. So it actually kind of yin and yangs a little bit, which is weird. So. Um, so anyway, just to kind of plow right through here regarding how the company began. And that, I really wanted to tell this story. When you initially approached me, you said, would you like to write for this spite site? And I said, I really don't have anything to say about pro wrestling right now. You know, with all the call-out stuff, honestly, it's really challenged my love for the business and wrestling itself. It's, I've, really, I've really been in doubt, so I don't really have much enthusiasm uh, uh, toward it other than potentially continuing on with this company and facilitating change to see it be this thing that can be great. You know what I mean? Um, but, but yeah, I, I was eager to just talk about this company just from my point of view and to kind of yeah. like show the nuts and bolts of it. Cause I think that that's what makes it even more entertaining than just the shows. I think when you look at the whole ball of wax, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's a general portrait of running a company. Yeah. You know what I mean? And what, it, like how it began and where it went and how it changed and how it just essentially runs. I think that initially, and no offense to you, Biss, I, th I feel like Biss really wanted to stick it to Darren. And I'm going to get into that in a second. I was more interested in being a part of the process, and I don't think initially I was supposed to be involved to the extent that I am now. Nope. I, when Biss came to me initially, he said, I really just want you to look at the card and tell me with the eye that you you know, ran over the ACW product with like what, what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Okay? And what, it, 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 grew, it grew from there. I remember Biss left ACW because he treated Biss like shit. That's my opinion. And one of the reasons why Biss left has a great deal to do with something pertaining to Biss needing some time off from a show to go see a ball game with his grandfather. And Biss can tell this story. Yeah, man. I'll jump in. To me, it wasn't a spite thing. It wasn't about sticking it to Darren. It wasn't about sticking it to ACW. 2012 was the shittiest year of my professional wrestling career. It was about holy shit, I just want to have fun promoting wrestling again. It, I didn't think, straight up, I didn't think we'd last more than like maybe three or five shows. Right? 
Like, all right, let, let's just, <laughs> if I'm, if I'm going to go out, let's go out with people I enjoy working with and let's, let's yeah. have fucking fun again. Right. So that was really the, uh, emphasis of where I was coming from. Um, yeah, like toward, so I'll tell the story fucking the December show, which is where everything went to shit because I wasn't there, obviously. Um, I, <laughs> I was in Dallas, Texas. There's some truth to that probably. Um, because I was, I was the guy with the referee shirt on, not literally, but you know, in the office. And, uh, I was very much a glue guy. Uh, I still like to think I kind of am today. It's evolved, but, um, yeah, I, I was in Dallas, Texas, watching the Steelers and Cowboys play. Um, my family's from Pittsburgh. So, um, yeah. And there was some sort of weird communication breakdown where they didn't remember it was that day that I wasn't going to be there. Uh, had literally gone over every show note with every individual talent, like over the phone or, you know, um, through text message so that they knew what the hell they were doing. Um, and, uh, yeah, then I was not invited to the production meeting for the January show. So that was sort of, I had already decided I had decided, I think it was September was the show that was in the, the downpour. Um, there was a moment during that anarchy show i just walked out the door i was like i don't know if i'm coming back right um so i had already decided the only thing left that i wanted to do was jerry lynn's last match with anarchy was scheduled for january so i was like you know what fuck it i'm calling that match i don't care if it even makes tape um because i was the i was the play-by-play guy for anarchy right so that was the one last thing i was like well if, if that's it then that's the last thing i do in wrestling so be it right so I made the decision there. Um, and this ties in. Uh, Josh Montgomery um, had some money together and wanted to run shows in oil towns. Um, and had the name Inspire Pro, right? Had a really shitty logo, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, Josh still had the, the money for that show, um, which... We soon found out it was nowhere near the money that you actually need to run a show. But, you know, for, for running little oil towns with fucking, you know, shitty talent and maybe one name, it, it probably would have worked. Um, at least to pay for the show. I don't know if it ever would have made it to a show, too. But, yeah, uh, that was in the middle of 2012. And uh, I basically was like, hey, I'm going to help out creatively with this. And it was, well, I don't know. It, it'll depend. Like, Motherfucker, it's... It's like 200 miles away. What do you mean? It'll depend. Like, fuck you. you I, I didn't sign a contract. You don't fucking own me. Um, but that was kind of the mentality, right? Um, there was a weird fucking, like, cult atmosphere to anarchy. Um, and, you know, they looked for people that were misfits. They looked for people that were looking for a place to fit in. And, you know, that was cool and all to, like, take on the fucking wrestling world. But I've got a fucking family, man. I don't fucking need you you were not my dad like i don't need that right so um that was a big part of leaving was kind of seeing more and more of that going man fuck you you know um so yeah that was the decision was made september 2012 and january of 2013 i officially uh put put in my notice i don't know it's not a real job right so I really regarded Biss as a friend at that point, and my take was that Biss 
had told Darren, hey, I'm going to go watch this football game with my grandfather. Now, to me, family is paramount. You put family be- before all else. And time is limited, especially when you're talking about relatives who, you know, are getting on, right? It's a beautiful thing for him to be able to go and share this game with his grandfather. And I remember him telling me that he told Darren, and then Darren was like, yeah, 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 cool. And then the day of the show, he basically called Biss up and was like, where the fuck are you? And he kind of nailed Biss to the wall, like crucified him over it. And to me, it's like, well, put down the dube, asshole. Pay attention to what you're fucking running. You know, that's what I always said when I was talking about the company was that, well, if you're going to call what you do professional wrestling, then be pro. Respect the people that are helping you pull this together because... I have no delusions personally that anything that I do, and I do, you know, shows with Biss now. I think that I'm a, I'm sort of a linchpin, but I admit that there's no way possible that I could pull any of that off without the dozens of people behind the scenes who sacrifice their time to just be a part of this thing that they love. And I feel like for him, wrestling became about him. It wasn't professional wrestling, it was the Darren Child show. I mean, you can talk about any litany of dumb fucking things he did in that ring, like Machiko and the Freddy Glove, for fuck's sake. Um, that was ridiculous. And just also, there really seemed to be kind of a negative attitude toward women in general that I noticed that kind of made me... It repelled me. For example, I think it was... What was it? It was uh, one of the prom shows. I was gone. Yeah. I, I know this story, but I was gone. Yeah. Where Jeff Gant has, had a match with, who was it? Do you remember? It was Mach, right? I think it was Mach, yeah. yeah. Where basically he had a match where if he beat Mach, he would basically get to kind of take her to this pro wrestling prom. But there was kind of a rapey. Oh, God, I was there for that, yeah. It was, yeah, you remember there was kind of yeah. a rapey element yeah. to the storyline. And then. You have this character that is being kind of a degenerate later that night have a 45-minute match with ACH at the time. It, to me, didn't sit well. It didn't make sense. How are you going to have this guy implied rape a wrestler on your show? And he struggles also to wrestle her in the match. And then you're going to have Albert carry this dude through a 45-minute show. It just, to me, I was very critical of that. And I remember Darren very vocally said, well, I guess we're just going to have to start doing shows for the boys. And I said, in my head, cool. Then they can pay. They can pay to be on cards. They can pay to play. That's basically what you're implying. I'm sorry if you don't appreciate feedback from the people that are actually buying tickets and making it possible for you to run for next to nothing in that building. But, you know, this is the reality, man. There were some disturbing things, disturbing trends, and just overall laziness it just seemed like it seemed like a clubhouse yeah and so after Biss leaves Joshua Montgomery who was a former wrestler in Texas correct you can use the term loosely I think he would too (laughs) Um, Biss had contacted me I think after that that prom show no 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 it wasn't the prom show which one was was, it it was I contacted you before the January show Okay. See, can I jump in there? Because sure. Because that's, that's a narrative that Darren has spun. That I've actually had to correct. Some of the boys have brought it up. 
Right. According to Darren, the company was created that night because we didn't like the fact that Jeff Gant got an opportunity. Jeff Gant was like my fucking child, man. Like, I took care of that kid. Uh, I wanted nothing but the best for him. And I actually told both of them, hey, I don't think this is going to get over like you guys think it is. Because, you know, I still talked to both Albert and Jeff at the time. Right? So the, the narrative from Darren was, well, Biss is just so fucking bitter. Like, he doesn't want anybody to succeed. No. No, that wasn't it at all. And... The idea of Inspire was also to go, holy fuck, my friends have to put up with this bullshit. Let me try to fucking have a show where at least they don't have to put up with bullshit one weekend. Yeah. you know. And I wasn't aware that that was a narrative that Darren spun, that he was upset that that he, he got Gant over. Because let me just say this, he didn't get fuck all over in that match, okay? The crowd turned on it, they shit on it. And I will also say this, Gant worked for Inspire Pro. Gant was on the first card, and in fact, I believe that in subsequent cards, we got Gant far more over than he had ever been in ACW. So that was one of the, one of the things that really made me want to do that company, too. I saw a lot of people that had potential that were simply being squandered. It, it evolved quickly, right? So Josh, Josh had run some shows in, in his hometown of Graham. Josh was yeah. one of our... Th- he was a part of the original three that started the company, so it's really important to, to mention him. Though I do love him, I think he's a phenomenal human being. He's a sweetheart, and he worked his ass off when he was at the shows. So I remember Biz contacting me and saying, "Do you want to fucking run this shit?" And I said, well, "What do you want me to do?" The, I think the first thing I came up with um, to you, and screw it, th- this is one of those weird kayfabe things that I would like hold on to, but uh, let's lay it out there. Uh, one of the characters we had was the Great Depression. Uh, the wrestler that we had for that, I had no idea for, right? And I was like, hey, man. I think one of the first creative things was like, hey, can you come up with something for, uh, for? yeah, we'll let it out. It, it was uh, Ricky Romita, right? Yeah. Because. Um, Depression was my baby. Yeah. And so Masada had been, had told me one time, <laughs> how do I do this without just going into a brig? Um Fucking do it, do it, do it. <laughs> like, motherfucker just needs a mask. Can't fucking always motherfucking smiling, man. Just put a fucking hood on him. I don't know what the fuck the deal is. So, right, so I, I come to Max. I'm like, dude, I, I need to come up with some sort of mask character, right? And, I, like, I don't know if you had that character in your back pocket or what it was. But, like, that night you shot me an email with, like, everything. I was like, fuck, yeah, let's do that. Um, And I think it was, like, shortly after that, it was like, hey, could we just do this card? And then, you know, um, it just kind of took off from there. He just kind of swooped in and snuck in like that, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think that's basically where it started. Well, and then yeah. as we started to... <laughs> I'll let you chirp in after this. But then as we started to try to actually do the logistics of the show, it was like, oh, fuck, we're lost. I don't know where the fuck to get a building. Right? Like, the first building, like, I tried to get a hold of didn't ever respond to me. Um, so it's like... Hey man, like you run shows, right? Where do we get a building from, right? So we realized real quick that we didn't know a lot of the stuff that we didn't know we didn't know. Me and Josh, at least. So initially, yeah, I was supposed to just kind of look over the card and go, I would do this or I wouldn't do that. And then it became apparent that nobody knew what the fuck they were doing. I, I don't mind saying that. And I said, do you have a building? No. 
What about a poster artist? No. What about social media? You got any of that? No. Did you ever read it at that point? We, we, well. <laughs> That's a story that we'll get to on the show. <laughs> but uh, mainly, like, I came in and I found this incredible spot by the name of uh, the Marquesa Hall and Theater. And it was an event space that they ran, like, raves and shows and just various weirdo events out of it was run by... Um, this woman by the name of uh, Deborah Gill, who uh, is famously known for opening a business here called the Parlor. It's a pizza parlor. It's a fam- it's, it's a fairly like beloved institution here. But she used to run the hall, and um, the bar that I worked at Beerland used to cater these these events. They had like frat parties there, and we would cater them. And that's how I knew about the space. It was otherwise not really on the map, um, and it had it had a movie theater too. Uh, attached to it. It used to be uh, a multi-theater space, but they converted one of the rooms into, like I said, an event event hall. Um, and so I got a hold of Deb and talked to her about potentially running out of there, and I said, I'll bring in a bunch of people that are going to drink a bunch of beer. And she said, cool. You know, because she's, she's true blue, you know, tried punk rock, you know, royalty in this town. She She understands... You know how business works. She knew that I could deliver a fan base that was just going to come in and get rip roaring drunk. Anyway, from there, I found, you know, I found and controlled most of the media. We used that Dustin Nance guy to do the poster. Uh, we set up social media stuff, um, and then I think the card was next, right? You, well, we would have had to have the card before Nance came in, but around the same time, right? Yeah, but Nance was like responsible for the logo, like the oh, classic, yeah. the classic Laurel Laurel logo. There was a guy. No, no, what? somebody else did that and then bailed. There was another dude that did the logo. I thought besides Nance. No, it was Nance. Okay, because the original guy just bailed. He did bail. Yeah, but yeah. He didn't. Okay. Do, he didn't do jack shit. Oh, I, I, mean, I thought he gave the logos and then got the hell out. Nah. Okay, you mess. know what? Actually, it was Philip Morales. Philip Morales did yeah. the logo work. Okay. <laughs> Philip Morales, who is a uh, he's a drummer in a bunch of hardcore punk rock bands. Oh, yeah. yeah, he did the logo. He didn't bail. He just did the logo, and then Nance kind of appropriated it and re- reworked it several okay. times. Anyway, my buddy's from Kansas City, and they, we had just started getting the fucking um, the like Hardee's knockoffs down here. Oh, Carl's Jr. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Man, no. Yeah, no, no. Carl's Jr. is not a Hardy's knockoff. It's the same company, isn't it? <sighs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. Don't so anyway, he's like, he's like, yeah, man, let's let's go do uh, let's go to Carl's Jr. Man, I'm like, cool, man. So we're at Carl's Jr. and it takes literally half an hour to get our fucking food. So like, whereas I'm ahead of schedule and ready to fucking go and do this, like by the time we get our fucking food, I'm like, dude, we gotta eat in the fucking car and fucking go. I've never been to this place before, right? So I'm like. In this fashion, no big deal. I'll just speed. I'll get there in time, right? So I get to the area, and I've got like 10 minutes to the start of the, the show. I'm like, I can't find the fucking place, right? <laughs> so it's like, dude, where is this place? And he is pissed. He's like, "What? it's the Marquesa. Just go to the Marquesa. It's like, it's right here. I was like, I've never fucking been to this area of town before in my life. So anyway, I finally, we like walk in. I think the previews had started or something like that. Yeah, just, like- just to just to also uh, chime in, Marquesa Hall and Theater became uh, AFS Cinema, Austin Film Society Cinema, 
And at the time, they were still running out of that building. This was before they took it over. And they were showing they were showing a movie that day, and I was just basically meeting Biss there. I was, you know, we were going to sit down, watch a movie, and then we were going to tour the hall. Yeah. yeah. I think the idea was to tour the hall and then go watch the movie, but I obviously fucked that up, right? Um, so, yeah, and the, the movie we saw that day was A Hero Never Dies. Which we used which, for a show title. Oh, yeah. 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 So The Johnny Toe film. It's a fantastic film. Anyway, um, so now let's just cut to the card. I remember seeing the card, and initially Biss was like, he said, "Yeah, brother, I don't want to, I don't want to run any show with with belts or anything." And I said, "That's fucking stupid." Like I remember telling him, "No, you got to have like a stake, you know?" Because like, even though I think Biss in his head thought this is just gonna be like a few and done, I in my head I've got delusions of like we're gonna be fucking running out of Frank Irwin in two <laughs> years, you know? I've got I've got this huge you know, put on a quality show and, 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 and go gung-ho. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to rewrite this card. Yeah. It, originally, there was no names either. It was all local. Because it was basically, and this is the shittiest way to run a show if you're an upcoming promoter, it was me and my friends present wrestling, right? It was basically what it is. Which, you know, those TNT boys seem to be doing all right with that. You know, paying what you pay for an actual belt was like, oh, that's extra money out of the budget that's probably not going to last past three shows, which was my mindset coming in. Thank God, um, not to blow smoke up your ass, but thank God Max thought that way because here we are fucking seven years later and imagine if we had run three shows with no fucking championship at all. Like, Yeah, I will say that initially I'm a sucker for certain things that a lot of people hate. I love, I love uh, triple threats. Yeah. And so... I basically had this idea where we would do three, over the course of, of three shows, three main event triple threat matches that would culminate in a finals match that was also a triple threat that would crown our champion. Um, and also, I think I, I pressured Josh into paying for Chuck Taylor. Because I said, this this show needs a hook, man. There's like nothing here. Yes, but I actually, I paid for Chuck's okay. flight. Well, there you go. Because I was like... Thank yeah. you. Sorry. I was like the, the, no, like you did. You did. We're like, hey, can Josh pay for this? And that very early on, I tried to pull like this like shadow management thing that didn't last very fucking long. Like I remember talking to ACH and I was like, yeah, you know, these guys don't really have the money for that. Can you come down a little bit, man? Yeah. No, it was fucking basically Josh's seed money and then whatever I was willing to risk that we didn't get at the door. Um, so yeah, I think I sprung for the uh, the plane ticket, which. Yeah, that we'll get to that when we get into the show. It was weird initially. I don't. My vibe was going into the show, and even the day of. Um, I remember uh, JoJo, Bravo, Jay Sirius. He seemed to, even though he was there, resent the fact that we were running. I felt like there were some people who were just like, "Yeah, no, ACW's home. We're gonna humor you." But, you know, yeah. so, I mean, even Albert was uh, fairly spiteful. I felt like his attitude was, I don't know if, we'll, we'll I mean, get to that yeah, we'll sure. get to that. But, can, um, can we just, before we start the show, and I know we false started the show twice already, but, uh, two, and fuck it, let's bury the motherfucker, um, two staff members, right, that I think deserve explaining. Then the first one was Eamon, right? Uh, I had a, a car ride to Houston with Eamon. Um, which is where I decided this is who I want to. Oh God! I thought you were gonna bury Amen. 
No, 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 no. No, not no I'm going. <laughs> Let me tell you about this kid that I've employed for seven years and how horrible. No, uh, I just, I just want to contrast the two, right? So in that car ride with Damon, it was like, this is who I want involved with commentary. And basically, like, I saw a lot of myself in Eamon, which is why um, I, I reached out to Eamon. And he, he had a degree, was it in marketing? Yeah. Or, you know, so I was like, man, I don't know that shit. Like, let this kid, like, help us out in that, right? So Eamon started slowly to take the some of the social media stuff um, and responsibilities and fucking did great. And has been nothing but a pleasure ever since. The second staff hire was we needed a ring announcer. So that's where we come to Mr. Brandon Stroud, oh, right? Do I need that price is right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Very, very much so. But um, this is the only time I'll justify it or say the thought process to it. Uh, number one, <laughs> Max and Brandon did not like each other. Like, very clearly to this point, still did not like each other. Um, Brandon's father uh, was a radio play-by-play person in Cleveland, is at least what I was told, right? And had, when I hired Eamon, had been like, why'd you hire Eamon? I could have done it. I was like, well, fuck you, you know? Um, but I was like, all right, man, this guy's got this fucking... Um, blog that people seem to fucking pay attention to like he has a, a decent voice um like maybe he'd be a good ring announcer so it was like yeah man why why don't you be our ring announcer right i thought it would be a good fit um i've also discovered barry savant was my ring announcer forever and you can say whatever you want about barry um but the one thing he has a quick wit and you need that as a ring announcer when you're not a wrestler and you're dealing with fans that will heckle, right? Yeah. yeah. And knowing Austin, that was probably going to happen. And Brandon, from his writing, seemed to have a quick wit. So I was like, okay, those check those two boxes. So that was the thought process there. Uh, I do want to say, I didn't initially dislike Brandon. I That was something that he earned. Um <laughs> And uh, it's funny because this all this all goes back to ACW stuff. You know, Stroud used to go to those shows. Eamon was at those shows, and me being this loud, drunken lout on the on the stage that would oftentimes cajole workers into not even really working and just yelling at me. Uh, I I cite the Jimmy Jacobs incident where he flew to Austin and didn't wrestle like even two minutes he just spent the whole time he actually he spent the whole time yelling at me from the apron and then spit on me and then the match was over um but um Eamon didn't like me and I I felt like every time I went near Eamon I I felt like he I felt like a homeless person invading someone's 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 you know personal space you know like I was, if you look, he would kind of like shrink up and look at me out of the corner of his eye, like I was about to ask him for change or something, like I smelled foul or something. But like all, everybody really hated me because of the ACW association. And initially, I think Brandon was the same way, but I also think that Brandon was heavily competitive, and in the same way that he resented Eamon uh, for taking the position that he did, I also think that. He resented me for my creative role in the company because he tended to kind of put himself over as a creative type rather than just 
playing his role, he had to diminish other people. Like, I don't want to turn this into, like, the shit on Stroud show, though that could be a podcast unto itself. But I initially was fond of him, and I thought that he was good in his role. And of course, I thought that yeah. it was a natural. It was a natural thing because it was like this guy. He works at Uprocks, and he's this kind of popular blogger. At one, two, three. This guy may be able to help us get exposure that yeah. no other company could. Uh, little did I know that he wouldn't do shit to help us. <laughs> and so it, it almost it wasn't you know really worth the trouble. I mean, and when I say trouble, I'm not talking about what we ultimately know about him now. I'm talking about all the diva bullshit that he would go on to pull while we were running the company, some of which, you know, is pretty seedy. I didn't know at the time. I know now. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he also tried to pull out of the show the day before the show. The first show. The first show. Yeah, he, he called me up, like, basically pseudo-crying that he just couldn't do it. And he was, uh, like, um, had social anxiety about being in front of people. I was like, bro, you what? <laughs> like, it just, none of it made sense. So I don't know what the hell that was. It was probably that he was pissed off that somebody else had a role that he thought he should have. Uh, looking back on it, um, but yeah. So from like show one, there was Brandon drama, um, and there, throughout this podcast, you will probably get more shitting on Shroud. So just be ready for it. Um, it's coming. So um, again, like what two nights? Before the show, the ring is not available that we rented. Oh, um, so um, we were renting the ring from Diamond Icy, who was a female talent that um, was a prelim female wrestler at the time. And she owned a ring. So she had a group of, uh, of guys that would bring the ring down, set it up. Do we have to put one on the show? I don't remember if that was the deal or not. No, I said fuck that. Yeah, yeah. I think I had. Uh, I think I was paying extra not to do that. Yeah, yeah. and we'll we'll get into to me and Max and this wrestling. is this is one thing too that I really really need to like go Stuff. into every fucking show that we've ever done. There's always some goddamn Jaybrone that shows up and he's like, "Can I get on the card, brother?" Or some other work or some other worker wants you to give their you know their their buddy like a pity rub or some shit like that. And the way that I go into these shows is that they're very regimented, and because I'm a screenwriter, they're scripted. I'm not saying like that the, the nuances and the minutia are there, but the brackets are there, and the brackets are hard. And unless somebody breaks a leg or their plane crashes, I'm not fucking changing anything. And this has always been the way that I functioned within the company, much to the consternation of many talents that appeared on our shows, because. I was going to deliver what the fuck I advertised. And beyond that, I think one thing that we haven't touched upon is that when Biss and I sat down creatively, we hashed out essentially what we were going to do for the first year. Even though he says he only envisioned this lasting a certain amount of time, he at least humored me enough to sit there and I'd go, I want to do long-term storytelling where I know where we're fucking going. And that's what, that's what, I, that's what we did, and yeah. we still do. And, and that was the way that um, I knew wrestling too was long term story. And not believe it or not, your local fucking VFW wrestling probably does not um, do it that way. I know because I've showed up to those shows and helped out. Um, so yeah, 
I probably only paid attention like the first three or four shows, just like, oh, that that'll be good, and we won't get past that anyway. So who cares about the rest of it? I'm kidding. I'm fucking kidding. It's growling at me over here. Um, but yeah, like absolutely. Even though my mindset was, hey, we may only get um three shows or you know so into this, um, you always plan for, you know, so. Although, like, in the front of my mind, that may have been what I was thinking. In the back of my mind, yeah, it was definitely going to be long-term. And I think one of the first conversations, I was like, all right, man, what is our back pocket match? Remember we used to have that conversation? Yeah. What's the What's the match when everything goes to shit? We go, fuck it, boom. We pull that out of our ass and we're saved. So we, did ha- we had those conversations. All right, guys, uh, we're approaching the end of the hour here. Uh, We're going to try to keep these episodes right around an hour long. Some of them might be shorter, some of them might be longer. Uh, But as we wrap this one up, we haven't gotten to the card of that first show yet, but uh, guarantee everybody that's going to be in part two. Uh, I know that because we've already recorded part two, so don't worry, that is coming. But for now, I just wanted to let you guys address what's, what's the status of Inspire Pro right now. Uh, is anything on the horizon? Are events even going to be possible in the near future? We really need to see how this all plays out. I mean, we've had false hope multiple times so far, but right now, me personally, I don't feel comfortable putting a bunch of people in a building. Sure. It, it does, it's not correct. I see companies doing it, and I see people working, and I know everybody's eager to get back to doing what they do but i gotta say man we're four months in can't none of y'all motherfuckers just sit at home for four months and just get to know yourself you know this world would be so much better if everybody could just sit at home and kind of talk about themselves and get through their issues it's just it's insane though man you got all these people like fucking doing shows in the middle of podunk nowhere you know and it's 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 blowing my mind um I don't know when we're going to be back, but I think that considering all the current issues that beleaguer pro wrestling, I think we all really, like Biss and I, feel strongly that we need we need to come back to just facilitate change and make sure that we continue to provide uh, an environment that not only atones but sets a good example for pro wrestling and what it can be. And that's probably about as good a mission statement for a pro wrestling company uh, that you could possibly have. So yeah, if you're interested in checking out uh, Inspire Pro, you can find them online at inspireprowrestling.com. Be sure to check out the next episode of Inspire AD, where Max and Biss will go over in uh, great detail the card for the first Inspire show, The Beginning. Also want to give a thank you to Vivid Death for the theme song to this podcast. It's called Floor It, and it's from their EP, Welcome to Hell, Volume 1, uh, which you can find at vividdeath.bandcamp.com. For now, uh, I'm Phil from steelringpost.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.